Let us pray. I'm watching Tarara Nevelasim, Father, we are thankful this evening for your grace and your mercy. We are thankful for the privilege of assembling together to study a portion of your word. We realize that the human mind cannot understand anything that is spiritual apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So it is a request that the Holy Spirit will enable us to hear precisely what you have for us this evening. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen. Still in Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 through 16. I'll begin reading in verse 13. He reads, So Joshua overcame the Amalekites' army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek from under the heaven. Moses built an altar and called, If the Lord is my banner. He said, For hands were lifted up to the throne of the Lord. The Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Now we have been considering the narrative of the war between Israel and the Amalekites, given uh, in this ex- section of Exodus 17, verses 8 to 16. The message that we drive from it is that to be successful in any endeavor, you should combine the physical and the spiritual component of your life with greater focus on your spiritual life. Now we also indicated that the narrative given in our passage consists of five paragraphs. The first paragraph is an introduction to the war given in verse 8. The second described in verses in verse 9 really is concerned with Israel's preparation for battle with the Amalekites. The third consists of the execution of the war described in verses 10 to 12. The fourth is Israel's victory as stated in verse 13. The, the fifth and the last paragraph described in verses 14 to 16 is concerned with the result of actions following Israel's victory over the Amalekites. Now we have considered the first three paragraphs and so we proceed now to the fourth. The fourth paragraph, as we've already indicated, is concerned with Israel's victory over the Amalekites. Now this victory is a combination of the physical and the spiritual activities. The physical activity involved killing of the Amalekites in the war front under the leadership of Joshua. The spiritual activity involves Moses holding his, his hand upright with his staff in it uh, to convey the power of God in deliverance of Israel, as well as an impl- uh, implication of prayer. However, as we have previously stated, the focus was more on the spiritual activity that involved Moses than on Joshua, since it is the action of Moses that was decisive in Israel prevailing against the Amalekites. In effect, we are reminded that victory over the enemy, whether human or satanic, comes through the Lord. Now we can say that Moses' role tells us that it is not by human power that victory is achieved, but by God's help as the words of the Lord to Zerubbabel that caution him that he will not accomplish God's work on his own strength, but through the empowerment of God's Spirit, as we read in Zechariah 
chapter 4, verse 6. Zechariah. Zechariah, chapter 4, verse 6. Zechariah, chapter 4, verse 6. It is, so he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. So the Lord conveyed to Zerubbabel the necessity of reliance on the spirit, a fact of course we all should take to heart. We should give deference in our lives to the spiritual while not ignoring what is expected of us in a physical manner. The main point though is that the narrative of the war of the Israel on the Amalekites focused on Moses' spiritual activity than the physical execution of the war under Joshua's command. Consequently, it is after describing Moses' role in the war that we read of Israel's victory. Now the Holy Spirit intended for us to recognize that the success of the Israelites in the defeat of the Amalekites depended on physical and spiritual activities. So that verse 13 begins with the word so in the NIV. Now the word so is uh, translated from a Hebrew particle, often translated and in our English versions as done uh, in this verse, in such English version as the English Standard Version and the Revised Edition of the New American Bible, among others. However, the Hebrew particle has several other usages. In our passage, it is used specifically to introduce the results of Moses holding up his staff uh, in his hand and the action of Israel, the soldiers in the battlefield, of course, with emphasis though on the role that Moses played as that is why it can be translated so or therefore. This is the way some English versions began uh, our verse because they translated the Hebrew particle for. In fact, really, the New Living Translation translated the Hebrew particle to leave no doubt that what is stated in verse 13 results from what preceded. Since its translators began the verse with the phrase. This is the way verse 13 begins in the New Living Translation. It begins, as a result. So there can be no doubt he's talking about, they are trying to say it's because of what preceded that what we have now takes place. So anyway, the point is that what is stated in verse 13 results from the action of Moses and the physical waging of the war by Israelites under the command of Joshua. Now we should of course be careful to understand that the mention of Joshua does not mean that he is the overall commander of Israel, for really that was Moses' role. However, it was necessary to reference him as the battlefield commander. Now it's really not a matter of who takes the credit for the victory of Israel since really it is the Lord that brought about that victory. Hence, the credit does now belong to Joshua or Moses but to the Lord who miraculously defeated the Amalekites for Israel. Now I emphasize this point because we humans are often preoccupied with receiving credit for the success 
of an endeavor to the point that we ignore or that he can be really say something like we like to steal God's glory. Now that if you really believe that every success in your life, don't take credit for it. Because when you do, you are stealing God's glory. Now people may commend you, you can't help that. But be sure to deflect that commendation back to God. Because he's the one that does that. And so this is so this is so you avoid stealing his glory. So this is something that uh, Moses didn't really do. Uh, he knew who the glory belongs to. So it doesn't matter whether Joshua is mentioned or Moses is mentioned. But the issue is that God is the one who has the credit. And so as believers we should endeavor to be sure that we ascribe all our successes to God as the one who grants us the true success in everything we do in our lives. Now it is usually the case though, that without physical evidence we will not recognize the impact of the spiritual component of a person's activity in facing problems. Therefore, we are given a physical result that indicates the importance of the spiritual component in the execution of the war against the Amalekites. Now, this result is given in the sentence of where we're studying Exodus chapter 17, verse 13. Again, it says, So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Now the word over, overcame here yeah, is translated from a Hebrew word that may mean to be weakened, to be weakened, or to dwindle away, to dwindle away, as it is used to contrast the fate of humankind with that of a tree. Now you see, if a tree is cut down, there is hope that a storm will sprout suits like, uh, uh, the, like the former planet was called now. Unlike humans, at death, we are totally powerless and wicked. As we read in Job chapter 14, verse 10. Job chapter 14, verse 10. Job chapter 14, verse 10. Job chapter 14, verse 10 reads, But man dies, and is laid low. He breathes, he is last, and is no more. To that clause, but man dies and is laid low, may alternatively be translated, but a man dies and he dwindles away. Everything about him, yeah, so matter of time, most time people forget that person. Anyway, the word may, the Hebrew word may mean to overcome, to defeat, as the word is used in the poem concerning the fall of the king of Babylon. In the 14th chapter of Isaiah, specifically as it is used in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. This is an interesting passage because uh, in some scholars ascribe this to Satan. And uh, because of the language, but there are other things that they ignore in the context and also in the history and the usage of words in uh, Middle East at that time, so that people uh, will understand this differently than we think today. It is, how have you fallen from heaven? That's why they say it has to be said. O morning star. Son of the dawn, you have been cast down 
to the earth. You who once laid low the nations, laid low the nations, I refer to the king who had been going around defeating all the nations at that time with king of Babylon anyway. And so the sentence, you who once laid low the nations, may alternatively be translated conqueror of the nations. Conqueror of nations. Now since we have a Hebrew participle conveying the sense of one that defeats the, the nations. In our passage of Exodus 17 verse 13, the Hebrew word has the sense of to defeat. That's of course to uh, win a victory over another in a military conflict. Thus Joshua defeated the Amalekites, describing the phrase of what we are studying in Exodus 17 verse 13. Look at that phrase again. The Amalekite army. Now it depends on the English version that you have. See that phrase, the Amalekite army, literally, reads from the Hebrew, this is where it reads, Amalek and his people. So he, he, defeat, he defeated Amalek and his people. That's the literal Hebrew. Now the question of course is really how to understand the, the literal Hebrew. Now this is because we have uh, first a Hebrew noun that may refer to the grandson of Esau with the name Amalek in Genesis chapter 36 verse 12. Genesis chapter 36 verse 12. Genesis chapter 36 verse 12 reads, Esau's son Eliphaz also had a concubine named Timnah who bore him Amalek. Amalek. These were grandsons of Esau's wife Ada. Now, now the noun may mean Amalekite as a descendant then of Esau but the word is used in the plural Amalekites to describe the descendants of Esau. As for example in Numbers chapter 13 verse 29. So the word in singular refers to the grandson but then the word in the plural refers to his descendants. Numbers chapter 13, verse 29. Put your mark right there because I'll go to one passage in our study in Exodus and come right back to Numbers. Numbers chapter 13, verse 29 reads The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. So the Amalekites here represent descendants of Esau. Then we have the literal phrase, his people. Remember, I say literally the Hebrew reads Amalek and his people. Now the literal Hebrew uh, use the word people translated from a Hebrew word that is uh, a very, that refers to a large kingship group regarded as uh, related biologically as well as language wise and other uh, cultural common features as it is used to describe the Egyptians by the Pharaoh that started operation of Israel in Egypt as we read in Exodus Chapter 1, verse 9. Exodus. Chapter 1, verse 9. Exodus chapter 1, verse 9 reads, Look, he said to his people, that were people, 
is a Hebrew word. The word is Am. Am. So he said, look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become too much, uh, have become much too numerous for us. Now the Hebrew word that means people may mean army. Army. In the, in, as in the encouragement of the Lord to Moses as he prepared for battle, as we read in Numbers chapter 21, verse 34. Numbers chapter 21 verse 34 It is The Lord said to Moses Do not be afraid of him for I have handed him over to you with his whole army That's what army is the Hebrew word am. and his land do to him what you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in his world. Now, they, so the word may really mean nation, nation, as it is used to describe the punishment God will inflict on Israel if they failed to keep to the terms of his covenant with them, as we read in Deuteronomy. Chapter 28, verse It is, then the Lord will scatter you among all nations from one end of the earth to the other. There you will worship other gods, gods of wood and stone, which neither you nor your fathers have known. So, that here, nations, some people want am, but that's where God promised to scatter all Israel, the Hebrew people, for not being faithful to Him, and that's why again they're scattered all over the world today. Now the word may mean the soldier, soldier, as it is used to describe the men who went to battle against Ai, as we read in Joshua. Chapter 8, verse 13. Joshua, chapter 8, verse 13. Joshua, chapter 8, verse 13 reads, They had the soldiers take up their positions. That's the same Hebrew am. All those in the camp to the north of the city and, and the ambush to the west of it. That night Joshua went into the valley. Now in our passage, uh, in Exodus 17 verse 13, the war really has a sense of army. So, although the little Hebrew race, uh, Amalek and his people, that word people based should be understood as Amalek. Now, this is because it is unlikely that all the Amalekites were in the battlefield fighting the Israelites, since we know that not all Israelites were in the battlefield with Joshua. And this indicates the literal phrase his people uh, could then read their army. Their army. Now, so this makes sense because of the word and 
used in the literal phrase Amalek and his people. Again, that conjunction and is translated from a Hebrew word that we stated previously. It's often translated and in English versions. However, the particle has several usages. Now, in the literal phrase that we are considering, it is used as a marker of explanation. A marker of explanation. So that it may be translated that is, that is. Now, if we take this uh, meaning and the meanings of the words that we have uh, uh, considered in the literal translation or the literal phrase Amalek and his people who put all of that together it will read something like this the Amalekites in other words they defeated the Amalekites that is their army that's what they defeated their army because when once the, the army of a nation is defeated the nation is, is defeated because their defense is gone now this translation, of course, makes good sense in that Joshua is said to defeat the Amalekites but only in the sense that he defeated their army which of course implies any defeat or that he defeated the Amalekites as a group of people. Their army being defeated means the people as a whole have been defeated. Now the, the defeat of the Amalekites is associated with Joshua because the physical activity that is involved in their defeat is carried out under his leadership. The actual victory is a result of God acting through Moses as he raised his hand with staff in it. Now you see, quite often in the history of Israel, the Lord fought for them by what he did and then the Israelites were left to do what I call to mock up, mock up the battlefield by killing the enemies. Now you remember we, that one of the principles that God can immobilize things in order to accomplish his purpose. So he will in many cases that I'm going to show you uh, several examples. He will immobilize the enemy so that all they had to go is just go more public battlefield by killing them off. Now again, we say this because in one occasion when the Lord brought victory for David against the Philistines, he acted. But for the result to be evident, in other words, because he had Giving you victory. How are you going to know? You have to go to the battlefield and mop up the battlefield by killing the enemies. So, in this case, David and his men went to fight against the Philistines, as we read in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 24 through 25. Now this is one of those, uh, I mean, those who have been, or at least those who are officers in the military, uh, who have been in the battlefield. You, one of the things is, every after every battle you come back, again access the uh, platoon or company to know how many you lost. Now, if you go and don't lose any, that's a, that's a, a big victory. If you didn't lose one, one soldier. So, my, I believe that when God sends them to mop through the uh, battlefield, pretty much they'll come back without any loss of life. Anyway, yes, God doing that to show you that He was one fighting. It is, as soon as you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, move quickly because that will mean the Lord has gone out in front of you to strike the Philistine army. So, David did as the Lord commanded him, and he struck down the Philistines all the way from Gibeon to Gaza. So you see that God is the one uh, working for them, 
defeating the enemy and again like I keep saying they just have to go and mop up the battlefield and that is killing the enemies now this kind of thing where the Lord grants victory to Israel after defeating uh, Israel's enemy through what he did was also the case in the time of prophet Elisha the prophet assured Israel that the Lord would give them victory over the Moabites as we read in 2nd Kings chapter 3 verses 15 to 19 2nd Kings chapter 3 verses 15 to 19 and hold on to 2nd Kings because I'm going to pick two more passages in 2nd Kings 2nd Kings chapter 3 beginning of verse 15 through verse 19 it reads but now bring me a harvest now this is an interesting situation because uh, most times the prophets will just utter uh, the prophetic words but here the prophet needed some music that is why a harpist was called for he says while the harpist was playing the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha and he said this is what the Lord says Make this valley full of ditches. For this is what the Lord says. You will see neither wind nor rain, yet this valley will be filled with water. And you, your cattle, and your other animals will drink. Now this is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. He will also hand over hand Moab over to you. You will overthrow every fortified city and every major town. You will cut down every good tree, stop up all the springs, and ruin every good field with stones. Now, at that time, that's when, he, when, when, they, when they defeat the enemies, the, one of the first places to go, they're drinking water. Because that's something precious in the ancient world living today. Once the source of water is gone, you, they, you know, you're in trouble. So that, that's what they will do. Whatever the source of water, they cut it off. And then, the land that is where they plant things, they just go and dump stones on them so that they can they can cultivate it. So that's what uh, the prophet is saying is going to take place. That's what God is going to do through them. Now once Israel obeyed the instruction of the Lord though, through the prophet, God did something that caused the Moabites to think that Israel killed each other. Only to find out that that was not the case. So that they were soundly defeated in accordance to the word of the prophet. Look at still in the second Kings chapter 3, look at verses 23 through 25. Verses 23 through 25. Second Kings. He reads, That's blood, they said. That's how the water looked to them. That's what God did anyway. Those kings must have fought and slaughtered each other. Now, to the plunder. What? But when the Moabites came to the camp of Israel, the Israelites rose up and fought them until they fled. And the Israelites invaded the land and slaughtered the Moabites. They destroyed the towns. And each man threw a stone 
on every good field until it was covered. They stopped up all the springs and cut down every good tree. Only Kel Harashid was left with its stones in place, with men armed with slings surrounded it and attacked it as well. Now here is the thing that, uh, of course, because of you know, sometimes we human, uh, modern people think we're so sensitive to things. Yeah, war is not a joking matter. That's why you don't study. What you study is an awful thing. Now, right now, I mean, we when you hear all this in the news, people forgot who started the war. Now, they forgot that. It just don't start war because it is not. And is it in the ancient world, once you start it, they don't stop. Until they kill off everything they can find in their way, so that that never happens to them again. So this is why war, you do the best you can to avoid it. But if it comes, then you have to fight to the finish, as they say. Anyway, sometimes the Lord puts the enemies to flight. But what he did without Israel finding a shot. You know what I'm trying to establish? God fights for them. Sometimes he will uh, immobilize the enemy and they all just have to go and mop up the battlefield. Other times he will do something directly. So this was the case uh, in the victory over the Arameans. The Lord gave to Israel, also in the time of prophet Elisha. As we read in Second Kings chapter seven, verses six and seven. Second Kings chapter seven, verses six and seven. Second Kings chapter seven, verses six and seven reads: For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army, so that they said to one another, "Look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings." To attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. Now, they didn't find a shot. Just what God did. And that's the result. Now, there was also the case where Judah did nothing. But the Lord acted directly, leading to the death of 185,000 soldiers one night. According to Isaiah chapter 37, verses 36 through 37. Isaiah chapter 37. Verses 36 to 37. It reads, It reads, Then the angel of the Lord went out and put to death a hundred and eighty-five thousand men in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to the new and stayed there. You see what he called it? Hundred and eighty-five thousand. We just hear that number. Imagine waking up. This is a big battlefield. And you see these many thousands of soldiers dead. 
Not one, not because it's shot an arrow or a bow, whatever. That's enough to say, you, you mess, as they say, you are messing with the wrong person. In other words, you're going against the God of Israel, whom you challenged, and God showed you what he can do. So here, he fought for them, and they didn't have to fire a shot. So, God can do things, whatever he wants to do. And again, I keep reminding us, we read these things, we think they are far-fetched. They are not. He can do it again anytime he wants to. And he may not do it in the same way, but he will do if that's what he wants to. Anyway, the point is that when the Lord gives Israel victory, miraculously, he may involve the flight of the enemy without Israel firing a shot, or he may uh, involve the mocking operation of the battlefield by the Israelites being involved in the killing of the enemies that the Lord had already defeated for them or immobilized. Now, you have to remember that they weren't fighting with guns and rifles and all those kind of They weren't fighting with those. They used swords, they used arrows, so God can immobilize the, the enemy, that they can't even strike their, bow, uh, their spears or their sword, and Israel will just go ahead and finish them off. And that's what he did in many cases. Anyway, so that was the case in the war between the Israelites and the Amalekites. God gave them victory. Now recall though that the message that we are expanding is to be successful in any endeavor, you should combine the physical and the spiritual component of your life with greater focus on your spiritual life. Now furthermore, recall that we had previously stated that this message does not mean that you should not work hard in the physical aspect of whatever you are trying to achieve. Only that you must have your focus on the spiritual component of your life. Now the narrative of the execution of the battle between the Amalekites and the Israelites focused primarily on the spiritual component in that the progress of the war depended on the position of Moses' hand and the staff in it. Now we noted that Moses' hand remained steady because his hands were uh, supported by Aaron and Hor. Thus, the spiritual aspect of the war was carried out fully as the Lord intended. Now that meant that what was left was a physical aspect that involved physically defeating the Amalekites. Now it is this that Joshua and the Israelite army did as conveyed in the last uh, phrase of Exodus 17 verse 13 that was started. Look at it. It says, with the sword. With the sword. Now literally the Hebrew actually is with the mouth of the sword. With the mouth of the sword. Now the little phrase is to be understood as really to mean with the age of the sword. With the age of the sword. Now this is because the word mouth of the literal translation I gave you is really from the Hebrew word pay that uh, literally refers to the mouth. However, the word may mean communication as it is used with the sense of order uh, re- referring to Joseph's communication as the second in command in Egypt as we read in Genesis chapter 41 verse 40. Genesis chapter 41 verse 40. Genesis chapter 41 verse 40. It reads, You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders, only with 
respect to the throne will I be greater than you? Now the word pay here is translated order. Now the word may mean age, that is the sharp age of a sword or a knife, as we read in Genesis chapter 34, verse 26. Genesis chapter 34, verse 26. It is, this is a case, of course, uh, uh, brothers were enraged, and rightfully so, for somebody to repeat their sister. Says, they put him on, and his son, and she came to the son and to Dinah from Shechem uh, from Shechem's house and left in other words after killing a lot of the people that's what they did now in our passage of Exodus 17 verse 13 the word has the sense of age that is of course uh, a sharp side uh, formed by intersection of two surfaces of an object so in any way the mention of the age of the sword is to convey that the Israelite army was armed with only swords at this point in the battle with the Amalekites and despite that, the Lord gave them victory. See, the ancient war, they had not just a sword by which they can fight what we call close combat, but they also have a lot of javelins and arrows that they can shoot like the Assyrian army and the Babylonian army they perfected those things that they can have from their chariots and be shooting those things like with fire missiles today and also and so on but Israel had just swords that's all they had and yet God gave them victory proving the point that when God is fighting for you the weapon you have is immaterial. So with this comment, we move now to consider the fifth and the final paragraph then of the narrative of the war between Israel and the Amalekites. Now the fifth and final paragraph of the narrative of the war between Israel and the Amalekites uh, is concerned with two resultant act actions by the Lord and Moses described in uh, Exodus chapter 17 verses 14 through 16. Now we are sad that the actions by the Lord and by Moses are resultant actions following Israel's victory over the Amalekites because of the word then. Look at if you have the NIV, the word then begins verse 14. Because of that word then. Now the word then of the NIV as an English word may mean at that time, or it may mean next, or therefore. So it is not usually easy to understand in what sense the translators of the NIV and majority of our English versions are used that meaning then. Nonetheless, the word then is translated from the Hebrew particle that we say have many can usually translate the and but it has other meanings. In our passage here, verse 14 of Exodus 17, uh, it has the uh, sense or it is used either to introduce the result of Israel's victory over the Amalekites or to indicate that what followed are uh, sequential to the victory as reflected in the New Lisbon translation and the uh, contemporary English versions that use explicit words such as after and afterwards respectively in their translation. So it is probably the case then that both meanings really are intended. In other words, the actions of the Lord and Moses result from Israel's victory 
over the Amalekites, and these actions are also sequential to this victory. So be that as it may then, the action of the Lord involves instruction to Moses that is followed with a promise. The action of the Lord is communicating of instructions to Moses introduced with a sentence of Exodus 17 verse 14 where it says, The Lord said to Moses, Now the word Lord here is translated from a Hebrew word, what we usually call the sacred tetragrammaton, four letters in the Hebrew. So it's often translated Yahweh. Yahweh. But most of our English versions capitalize and use the word Lord. They write that word Lord. It is a way of translating uh, the, the word Yahweh, which is the name the God of Israel gave to the Israelites through Moses for identifying him. It's a personal name. When he said, that's my name, Yahweh. Now, this word, therefore, conveys the unique relationship of God to Israel. Now, that aside, we know that the Lord communicated to Moses, although we do not know exactly how that happened. But Moses knew it, and he knew it was the Lord that communicated to him, since the Lord had been communicating uh, to him ever since he appeared to him, and Mount Horeb and commissioned him to be his agent of deliverance of the Israelites. Now it is true that we do not know uh, exactly how the Lord communicated to Moses, but we know that it is not through a dream or through a vision because the Lord indicated he communicated with Moses directly as we read in Numbers chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. Numbers chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. I put your marker after one passage, I come back to Numbers. He reads, he said, listen to my words. When a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in vision. I speak to me in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face. Clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So, what we know, God communicated to Moses. And as even though today, God communicates to his people. Now some people say, no, he doesn't. Well, it's because you don't have, they don't have a personal relationship with the Lord. Because if you do, and I, you know, I hear people say, well, that's the devil talking to you. Well, the devil, devil will talk, but God wouldn't talk, right? And I just hate, just with, you know, just some of those things that cause me to laugh at people. They give too much credit to say that. And he says, Satan is talking to me. God can talk to his own people. Now, I find that absurd in my thinking. God does communicate. And if he's not communicating to you, you better check your life. You don't, don't, you don't have a personal relationship with him. It doesn't mean he's talking, he'll be talking to you like I'm talking. No. But he will communicate to you in the way he chooses. And in one way, you hear it. And you will know that he did. Now, in any case, the lost communication to Moses requires an action on his part. Thus we read them in Exodus 17 verse 14 we say, write on a scroll as something to be remembered. Now this sentence is the first time Moses indicated that the Lord instructed him to write down anything. Of course, there are at least three other times that the Lord instructed him to write down some information. Now after the fiasco of the uh, golden calf and after the Lord conveyed to Moses that he has made a covenant with Israel 
the Lord instructed him to write down the things he said to him as we read in Exodus chapter 34 verse 27. Exodus chapter 34 verse 27. It is then the Lord said to Moses, Write down these words, for in accordance with these words I will have made a covenant with you and with Israel. Now, on another occasion, the Lord communicated to Moses to write down the stages of the travel of Israel, as implied by him obeying that instruction according to Numbers chapter 33, verse 2. Numbers. 33 verse 2 Numbers 33 verse 2 reads And the Lord and the Lord's command Moses recorded at the Lord's command Moses recorded the stages in their journey This is their journey by stages. Now the last time the Lord communicated Moses to write or commanded him to write something down is in his final farewell speech to Israel uh, when he told him to write about a song that he of course had to teach according to Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 19. Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 19. He reads, Now write down for yourselves this song and teach it to the Israelites and have them sing it, so that it may be a witness for, my, uh, for me against them. So, anyway, the command of Exodus uh, 17 verse 14 was to write this on a scroll. It's a reminder that our scripture has a divine origin. In other words, those who wrote down the scripture did so because the Lord directly commanded them to do so. He moved them so that they did that. So we can see this is more so uh, clearly stated in the Old Testament scriptures. Prophet Isaiah conveyed the Lord com uh, communicated to him to write specific information as we read in Isaiah chapter 8 verse 1. Isaiah chapter 8 verse 1. Isaiah chapter 8 verse 1 says, The Lord said to me, Take a large scroll and write on it with an ordinary pen. Mahel Shalal hash bars. So he said, God told him to write. He wrote. Prophet Jeremiah indicated that the Lord commanded him to write down the words of the Lord that he was speaking to him according to Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 2. Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 2. Jeremiah chapter 30 verse 2 reads, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, Write in a book all the words I have spoken to you. Prophet Habakkuk expressed the same fact in Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 2. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 2 reads, Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets, so that a herald may run with it. So the point is that Moses and the other prophets wrote the Old Testament scripture because the Lord instructed them to do so, directly or indirectly. Now, when God commanded them to write, He ensured that they wrote down accurately what He intended. So, the Holy Spirit, through Apostle Peter, could make 
the statement regarding how we got our scripture. In Second Peter chapter 1, verses 22-21. Second Peter chapter 1 verses 22-21 He reads, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of the scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So this passage then enables us to be certain that when Moses obeyed God's instruction to write that he was guided by the Holy Spirit to write a, a, according to that command of Exodus 17 verse 14 verse he says again, write this on a scroll. So what does this pronoun this refer. He said, write this. So what does this refer? We are out of time, so we'll pick up the answer in our next study. But let me again remind you of the message that we've been uh, considering, that is, to be successful in any endeavor, you should combine the physical and the spiritual components of your life with greater focus on your spiritual life. Holy Father, we are thankful for the study of your word. We pray that God the Holy Spirit will continue to challenge us. That's given us your Holy Spirit to help us in every situation and that we recognize that whatever we face, we can overcome. This is our request in Christ's name.